Welcome back, everyone, to the Chaos Ball Podcast. Thanks for tapping that listen button. Happy Felix Hernandez weekend to you and yours. I will be talking about Felix this episode. Got some other stuff to talk about. Baseball Reference Player of the Week is returning at the back end of this episode. Talking a little Orioles. That game that just finished after right before I hit record on Sunday. Absolutely raucous final two innings. We'll, we'll be discussing the Orioles series as well as their social media team's interesting choices so far this year. Talking a little Julio Rodriguez. Uh, a little playoff odds. Maybe I'll talk more about Felix Hernandez because I just love him. But yeah, that's it. That's the episode. Manners baseball. The win streak is over. They went on an eight-game win streak. Snapped on Saturday. And people are back on Twitter hating the team again. Uh, they stink. They actually are a really bad team. Scott makes really bad decisions. They shouldn't have traded Paul Seawald. I heard absolutely none of that during the eight-game win streak. And they just lost two in a row to maybe the best team in the American League. And uh, now the team sucks again, and and the front office is bad, and uh, Scott Service is bad. So that's just how it works. But no, no. That was a really fun series against the Orioles. I was actually from like a – I'm not a neutral fan, but just from that perspective, uh, absolutely electric series. Really close games, really good – Good pitching, solid lineups. Both teams have a pretty nasty like back of the bullpen. Obviously, I think the Mariners have the edge in rotation. Uh, the Orioles probably have the edge in the lineup. And then bullpen-wise, I don't know. I'm just going to call it a wash for the bullpens. Uh, both are both are very solid. But I, I tweeted today, I think an Orioles-Mariners playoff series might be the end of me. It might actually kill me. Because uh, those games were stressful, 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 stressful. Today's was actually insane. Um, eh, Cedric Mullins, you can't escape him. Ninth inning, Ty France hits a home run. Nope, Cedric Mullins takes it back. One of the one of the better catches I've seen all year. He was full extension, caught it at the apex of his jump. Uh, just. Something I mean, infuriating, but you got to give it up to him. Next, next, next pitch, Dominic Calzone, ding dong, right field, tie game, epic bat flip, epic goalie call, and then Cedric Mullins comes up in the ninth or the ninth, the tenth, smacks a ding dong to right field, and that is that. Uh, Trent Thornton was used as a. High leverage reliever again, which is just an interesting choice. Uh, this one can totally fault the coaching staff and Scott for all for that, because it it hasn't worked him and high leverage, and I don't think anyone's really expecting it to work. And if Taylor Saucedo was available, which potentially he wasn't, but he I, he was like warming up a little bit in this game earlier in the game, and then got sat. And so if he was available to pitch, I don't know why you throw Trent Thornton out there in the 10th. But he did. And Cedric Mullins, you can't escape him, wins the game for the Orioles. Uh, Two-run home run to seal it. They The bats don't do anything in the bottom half. And just a raucous game. I mean, that ninth inning, Scott got ejected because Munoz 
balked, apparently, to send runners from first and second to second and third. And you get Jorge Mateo on third base, even with the infield end. There's a dribbler back to Munoz. Not the best throw back home to Cal, but it would have had to be like perfect for them to, to get him. He was halfway down the line, uh, while, basically while Munoz was throwing the pitch. And he's one of the fastest runners in the game. And things don't go your way. And that's what happens. Uh, it was cool to see Dom, Dom Canzone have that, that dinger. And had a, a good moment at home. First dinger in a Mariners uniform. Absolutely cranked it. It was a huge mistake right in the middle of the plate, that pitch. And he punished him for it. And he's got he's got that type of power. I think I talked about it in last week's episode. There is a decent amount of pop there. And boy, he put that thing deep in right field. And all for naught. Um, and they, they lose the series. I feel like they hadn't lost a series in... <laughs> seven series, eight series, maybe a tie, but they, they hadn't lost a series in a long time, and they did today to the Orioles, and it's frustrating, but they move, they move on, and we don't have to think about the Orioles ever again. They played them, I mean, it it's two, two very winnable games after they won on Friday that could have gone either team's way. It just, the Orioles eked it out. Uh, they theoretically are the better team. Mariners obviously entered with, you know, the hottest as the hottest team in baseball. But every win streak has to end, and it was um, good to see the team play against a really good AL team that will be in the playoffs and potentially we will have to face in the playoffs. I think that'd be an absolutely sick playoff series to watch. Uh, but. Um, you know, it didn't spoil Felix Weekend. I think Felix Weekend was successful. But uh, they got to regroup. And they have a lot of games in a row coming up, honestly. Um, they have, what, four, seven, ten games in a row now after those three. So 13 games in a row. And those ten games are on the road. So it's pretty crucial. It's pretty crucial. One of those is against the Astros, too. So... Got to batten down the hatches, see what moves they make. It might be time for Mike Ford to go back to Tacoma. I've, I've been the biggest Mike Ford supporter since spring training, and it might be time. It might be time to send him back down. I, don't, I think his, his time has come, especially with Jake Shiner. Uh, you know, I I don't think I'm as high on him as every other Mariners fan is, just looking at what he's doing in AAA right now. But I think at least I would want to give him another shot to come up and provide some at-bats. I mean, he can play. He's also just positionally way more versatile than Mike Ford. I know Mike Ford's been taking, like, practice at third base, but Jake Schreiner has been playing predominantly third base for the Rainiers. Third base, some first, some corner outfield. So more positional versatility there. And I think it's it might be time to give him a shot. Uh, Haggerty's back up too, but Mike Ford, it might be time. It's unfortunately... Might be time, but that was a really fun series. George Kirby pitched a complete game shutout in a no decision on Felix Day on Saturday. Everyone was making the same joke on Twitter, which some people were like mad about for some reason. I think in that situation, everyone should point out how on brand it is that that was a totally scripted game. And like Kirby goes nine innings, seven Ks, no runs, like two hit ball. 
on uh, the day they induct Felix Hernandez into the Mariners Hall of Fame and they lose in extras, come on, that's that's Mariners heritage right there. Come on. I looked up the stat and tweeted it. There were four, there were four other occasions where that happened every time they lost in extras. They have yet to win a game where their starter throws a complete game with no runs and gets a no decision. So that's that's how that goes. Uh, but I don't want to dwell on the Orioles series, uh, but there is one more thing I'd like to say about the Orioles. In the midst of this fantastic like in- season with an insanely talented young core, they've called up every top prospect known to man, hitting prospect at least, this year besides Grayson Rodriguez. They've called up every single one. They have more, too, which is actually freaking bonkers. Um, but this young core, it's going to make them competitive for potentially a very long time. The organization has been making an ass of themselves. I didn't talk about Kevin Brown last week because um, I think I want to say it happened like the day after I recorded. But uh, I don't have much else to say that everyone else didn't already say. Like It was, it was funny to see all the announcers across the league have solidarity with him because it was crazy that being not he wasn't even being critical of the team he was just saying facts and got suspended like he was part of it was part of an announcer's job to say facts to fans and he wasn't even really being negative uh and suspending him makes it like an insanely huge deal and makes you look colossally stupid uh the, the entire league dunked on them for a week straight especially the owner who is this is not the first time they've done something like this with an announcer. Uh, it's one of those teams they want the announcers to wear um, like Orioles polos every game, which I don't have an issue with, but it's it's I think there's a little bit of the vibe of don't say anything bad about the team as the announcer of the team. It's just funny because he didn't. He was like, the Orioles have been really bad against the Rays and Tropicana Field the last couple seasons, but like they're good now. The Orioles were a dog shit for for how long? Four years? Five years? Straight? They were awful, and that is a massive reason of why they are good now. It's just funny to suspend him for saying that, especially because it wasn't just him going off the cuff saying something crazy. It was just facts. It's so funny that they did that, and he's a great announcer too. He's he's as universally loved as a regional announcer can get because. If you've heard him call a game, he's great. It's it's one of the broadcasts I like to tune into. I like Kevin Brown quite a lot. Just real funny. Just real funny. Their their owner, um, oh, what is his name? Oh, God, I don't want to pause and look it up because that'll stop the flow. No, uh, whatever his name is, he's classic Nepo baby owner. Um, his dad owned the team. Dad died. Passed it down to him. He owns the team. Clearly not super interested in spending. We'll see about this offseason. But also, this is just somewhat of how the Orioles operate. Just pretty embarrassing. And they completely Streisanded. Streisand affected themselves, which is like, they made this such a big deal. So now everyone knows how terrible they were at the Trop. Not that it matters. It's just funny. If they didn't suspend him at all or do anything, nobody would have cared about what Kevin Brown said. The only people who were watching that live... We're Orioles fans. <laughs> so, so dumb. And that was that was the thing that got baseball Twitter in a tizzy the last week. But all year, 
there's been three things that the Orioles social media team has done to really, like, come on, what are you guys doing? It was the King Felix stuff first, which is, like, whatever. They called Felix Bostista King Felix, I think, twice, and whatever. I don't, I haven't heard anyone call him that. Like, I don't see, like, Orioles fans really calling him that. It was their social team doing something not original, not creative, very lazy, um, not doing him any favors either. I think I talked about it during the All-Star break episode um, when Dave Softy Mahler made an ass of himself talking to Felix Bautista. Um, like, Felix Bautista didn't ask to be called this. And I don't, no one really calls him that. And it's just real lazy to call him that in general. Um, and also funny, like, they're very different. Felix Bautista is a noted a closer uh, a man who will likely never reach the heights that Felix Hernandez reached in his baseball career. And that's no knock to Felix Bautista. I am a fan of Felix Bautista. Um, just really funny they decided to tweet that. It did get a lot of Mariners fans really irrationally mad. And like a lot of them just shit on Felix Bautista now. For what reason? I don't know. Like, I don't, Did people really think like the social team talks to the players about what they tweet? They do not. They simply don't. Nor do the, do the players care what they tweet? I don't think so. I, maybe a couple of them. I doubt many of them do, especially not Felix Bautista. Uh, and I've been a fly on the wall just watching Orioles and Mariners Twitter melt down equally this weekend about this King Felix business. Both sides taking it entirely too seriously and saying that both sides are rent-free in their head. Pretty funny over something so trivial. Uh, but it's not only the King Felix stuff. They've recently also tried to claim Chaos Ball and Fun Differential as their own, which rightfully so. Not only Mariners Twitter put them in their place, uh, it was a bipartisan thing, especially with Fun Differential um, when they tweeted that out. Like, come on, find a new slant. Like, whoever the social media people are for the Orioles be original <laughs> it's just so lazy to do that you can't claim chaos ball precisely like two seasons after well i guess it was more last season it was coined for the mariners very openly and we've been using that ever since hence the name of this podcast and fun differential was is two years old and the mariners are the only team in the history of baseball on Baseball Reference, if you go to the 2021 Mariners, they have a run differential and they have a fun differential. No other team has that. Hence, it is ours. I'm sorry. You can say it in passing. You can't brand it as your own. So, Oriole Social Media, be better at your job. Be more original. Come up with original content yourself. Like, don't just steal from the Mariners almost exclusively. Weird enough, they've stolen from the Mariners. At the end of the day, still very trivial. They're like, really, who cares that much? It's just funny that they're that lazy. Um, but who, whomst among us isn't lazy at their job sometimes, you know? It's just most of us, when we're lazy at our job, don't have thousands of angry people on Twitter yelling at them that they are lazy. But, yeah, that's that. That was That's the Orioles. That's all I have to say on the Orioles. I don't want to talk about the Orioles anymore. Now... I'll talk about Felix Hernandez. I love Felix Hernandez. 
what a weekend this was. I really wish I could have been in town for it. I was not. Uh, I have been, I went to the Edgar Hall of Fame ceremony. I went to the Griffey Hall of Fame ceremony, but that was both when I was in high school and I went with my family. Uh, I missed the Etro one, missed this one. Uh, I wish I could have been back for this one because I've talked about it on the podcast here, but Felix Hernandez is my all-time favorite, probably favorite athlete ever up to this point in my life. Favorite baseball player for sure. Favorite Mariner for sure. Uh, Was that his perfect game? And I have countless amazing memories watching him growing up uh, when I was in like majors, Little League Baseball, when I was learning to throw another pitch besides a four-seam and a two-seam fastball and occasional curveball. I learned to change up because of Felix Hernandez, and I must say my changeup was real good. I had 12-year-olds back then in an absolute mixer when I mixed my, my two-seam and changeup together. I learned it. A big reason why I learned it was because Felix Hernandez threw a changeup. I, I, I could, I could talk about Felix all day, uh, but the ceremony was awesome. Uh, he looked, he looks great. They had a throne for him, which was really silly, especially next to uh, the other, like next to Ken Griffey Jr. in like a, like a fold up chair. And then you have Felix on a throne, actually hilarious. Um, really cool to see him back in Seattle. Uh, he made it 20 feet out of the bullpen and, and was weeping. I I shed I shed a tear during his speech. I was quite emotional. I really do. He has a very special place in my heart. Uh, and I I it was hard to not shed a tear when they brought out Adrian Beltre. Uh, Felix couldn't help but but sob when Adrian walked out there, and you kind of knew they had to do it to him uh, because they're obviously it's one of the better known friendships in baseball ever is is the Beltre Felix friendship, but to see him have a, you know, surprise hugs him, gets to see his all of fame ceremony for the Mariners. Awesome. Just awesome stuff. I think the, all the videos were great. I think everything the team did this weekend with him for him, all the fans showed up just great. Just good stuff. Just really wholesome. I really do absolutely adore Felix Hernandez. The only thing I could have done without is John Stanton's speech. I don't care to hear him speak at all. And he decided to speak for what felt like 30 minutes. He's he's definitely spoke longer than Felix too, uh, which is pretty foul. And I didn't need to hear that. But otherwise, everything else was fantastic, especially because I just love hearing Rick Riz speak into a microphone. So any chance I get to listen to that, absolutely will. Uh, but Felix Weekend... I might have to try to get me one of those bobbleheads. I know there's only like 20,000, but I have uh, I have the King Felix bobblehead, which I enjoy. Uh, and um, it was funny, Ichiro made a joke that even with the bobblehead they gave out this weekend, Ichiro still has one more bobblehead that the Mariners made uh, than Felix does. So that was pretty funny. It was awesome to see Ichiro out there um, giving Felix his flowers too. Obviously, they were teammates for, what, six, seven years, so it was it was nice. One thing I did think of is they kept bringing out the Mariners Hall of Famers, and I get it. It is the Mariners Hall of Fame, and I'm not saying they shouldn't have had those guys there, but let's, let's bring out Jose Lopez, you know? Let's bring out Brendan Ryan. Franco Gutierrez was there, looking great, as per usual. 
what if they just brought out the entire defensive alignment of uh, Felix's perfect game? Like, that would have been fun. That would have been honestly kind of ridiculous. Imagine after Adrian Beltre comes out and it's like, and now welcoming John Jaso, the catcher of Felix's perfect game. Felix start, Felix gets down on his knees and starts breaking down. He loves John Jaso more than Adrian Beltre, secretly. No, but Brendan Ryan, Jesus Montero, Trayvon Robinson. Let's get all those fellas. Michael Saunders, let's get the perfect game team out there. No, that would have been, that would have been a lot. Uh, but I'm rambling. I'm rambling because I just want to keep talking about Felix. But awesome to see him in the Hall of Fame. I hope there will be a statue of him one day. There is an argument that he is the greatest Mariner of all time. I'm not going to make that argument right now. But there's absolutely an argument to be made there. He spent, for the most part, his entire career with the Mariners besides a couple minor league stints elsewhere. But I I really, he deserves a statue, and I hope there will be one at some point. I'm assuming there will be. They'll just have to choose where. Uh, but I'm hoping for a statue. But yeah, Felix, it was awesome to see him, and uh, I hope he he sticks around in Mariners baseball for the rest of my life in some capacity. I, I imagine he will. Uh, it's clear how much he loves the city, uh, the fans, I mean, he said in his speech, like, he really was so grateful of his time there. Obviously, despite not winning much and the team's so topsy-turvy with him there, but he, he clearly adores the city and the fans, and, like, he he loves what the organization has done um, with him since they signed him when he was 16. They've put all his faith behind him, and they clearly treat him really well in retirement, him and his family. So, really good to see Mr. Felix Hernandez back. In, uh, I almost said Safeco Field, uh, T-Mobile Park. <laughs> all right, all right, enough about Felix. I think this is going to be a shorter episode. I don't have a whole lot else to talk about um, besides Julio Rodriguez. I'm going to talk about Julio Rodriguez for a second. Um, he had one of the coolest, maybe the coolest home run robbery I've ever seen, and personally, in my life, uh, I bought the Tops Now card of it because it's awesome and double-sided. It shows his little devious face after he caught the ball. Uh, you should know what I'm talking about, but if you don't, midweek against the Padres, he robs Fernando Tatis of a home run. Dave Sims gets put in an absolute mixer in the booth. Uh, it doesn't take much to deceive Dave Sims into something being a home run or not a home run. He gets deceived by physics constantly. Uh, it's one of the things that's like his biggest flaw and also something that's kind of endearing because sometimes we all get fooled. And in this case... I don't necessarily fault him for getting fooled on this one. Julio literally fooled all of us. I initially thought he caught it, but then he came down and played it off like he didn't, obviously. And so I was like, oh man, he really didn't catch that? And then he just smirks and shows everyone the ball? Are you kidding? Tatis was on his way to third when he did that. Absolute animal. Absolute animal. One of the coolest robberies I've ever seen. His first home run robbery officially in a marriage uniform in center and he is going to win the gold glove this year. He's simply going to. He leads the league in outs above average right now. He's been elite in center the entire year. And it's amazing to see him blossom into not only the everyday center fielder, but a gold glove caliber 
center fielder, something I, I, I shouldn't say nobody thought was going to happen, but the consensus of him coming up as a prospect, the two big knocks, there was never really a knock, that much of a knock on like his hit tool or his power um, or just like his attitude. Like the, the, the strengths where he hits, he's going to hit the ball really hard. He's got above average contact skill like he did for his age. And he's got a huge frame. I mean, he's 6'3", like 220, and very muscular. Uh, and was absolutely scorching the ball in the Dominican, absolutely scorching the ball in the minors. There weren't, like, a whole lot of question marks after he got stateside. But there still were two, and that was his speed. Notably, at some point, it was a 40-grade speed for him coming up, which is actually hilarious because... According to StatCast, he has 97th percentile sprint speed now, uh, closer to 65, 70 grade speed, elite speed by definition, and his ability to play center field. I think those two somewhat went hand in hand. Uh, those were the biggest knocks of him as a prospect. And look at him now. Those, those Before he started actually being more like he was last year and hitting the ball hard and making a lot more contact the past, like since July 1st, essentially a little bit in May and then June took a dip. But the whole year, the two biggest constants have been his speed and his outfielding. Those have provided the most value to the team this year prior to the last six weeks where his hit tool has been better. But still, most of the value coming from, like if you looked at his war the whole year, you look at his batting line and his raw stats and it's like how does this dude have like three war in july and it's he's playing elite center field defense which definitely pads the war playing in center at all just because you get so many putouts pads the war a little bit kind of like playing short uh but also the speed i mean he had i think 20 stolen bases by july almost uh and it's crazy to think those were the two biggest knocks of him coming up as a prospect uh i pull i found some other stuff but i pulled up um, I wanted to see some things that people wrote about him um, back when he was a like prospect, not in the Dominican, but a prospect in like 2021 when he was getting ranked in the top five of Mariners prospects. And I found from the Athletic of 2021 a Keith Law piece on the Mariners' top prospects, as he's one to do with top prospects, he ranks them. And I generally trust Keith Law and most of the things that he says. He knows more about prospects than me. And this is just a little bit of his blurb about Julio Rodriguez. He had him at number two in the Mariner system behind Jared Kelnick. And he said, quote, He's a big, strong kid with long levers and an easy rotational swing that looks geared to hit the ball a long way. That is very true. And then he also went on to say, He's played mostly center field to date, but he's going to end up in right field or left, given his frame, with the power to profile in a corner. What remains to be seen is how much he'll hit. His pitch recognition isn't that advanced, and his swing can get long, which will determine whether he's a star who can hit cleanup or just a regular, a solid regular with power and lower on base percentages. I think he's... Still quite accurate about that hitting assessment. I think his swing we've seen this year. I talked about it a couple weeks ago. It can get a little long, which just means he is having less power to the pull side, like I talked about. Um, and and there's some question marks still about that. 
especially like pitch recognition as well. And that just might be a thing that plagues him his whole career potentially, but the he's played mostly center field to date. He's going to end up in in a corner, and it'll and it'll play with his with his hit tool. That could not be farther from the truth now. And I'm not dunking on Keith Law. That was the consensus with most prospect people at the time. It was there were question marks about his speed, and then he got into the minors. And once he started running a lot more in the minors, it was like, okay, so he's got, you know, if not elite speed, close to elite speed once he started stealing bases stateside. But even then, there were still question marks about his center field defense because of how big of a frame he is and just because, I don't know, they didn't trust him to be good in center. And and a lot of people were like, okay, he probably will be an everyday right fielder for a decade plus with how good his hit tool is strong arm and right and now he's just playing gold glove center field it is pretty awesome it's hilarious to just it's hilarious to think that that was the big knock on Julio Rodriguez coming up as a prospect very funny very funny stuff um but now he's I mean he's been hitting better um still not the, the most clutch clutch person on the team maybe lacks the clutch gene although in baseball I think clutch stats are one of I'm not gonna say one of the worst stats I like all stats a stat among stats you have to take with a grain of salt I think that is the biggest one to take with the smallest grain of salt if you know what I'm saying I think there's definitely some merit to the lights being too bright in situations I also just think baseball is a sport of randomness uh, and happenstance and luck. And I think a lot of that plays into the clutch stats a little bit. But Julio, elite center fielder, on the, at this rate will be a shoe-in for gold glove in center field uh, and just awesome to watch him patrol center out there. And I can't wait till my Tops Now card comes of Julio robbing Tatis of a home run in a hilarious fashion. But now, and I told y'all, a shorter episode, shorter episode, I'm getting this one done, and it's because Dominic Canzone decided to delay my podcast taping this today. He just, he said, nope, you're not going to record at the normal time when the game's end. We're going to go to the 10th and lose anyway. But now's the time, the return, baseball reference player of the week. It's been a few, it's been a few weeks since, since doing this. I still like to do it. Uh... For me, if not for y'all, because old baseball names are funny. I've long said this. I still love just scouring old teams looking for funny names. And then you click on the names and you go to their Wikipedia bio and sometimes some fun stuff comes up. Or sometimes you just find a name and he's got some really cool fun facts, but the best part about him is his name. And that is the case with this player, Jack Glasscock. His full name, John Wesley Glasscock. But Jack Glasscock is what he goes, is is on his Wikipedia and baseball reference. Jack Glasscock, first off, electric name. Absolutely phenomenal name. Uh, can you guess that he played in the 19th century? 1880s, 1890s. This is where most of the fun names lie. Uh, he put up 61.6 career war in his career, 
Uh, he had a 112 OPS plus in his career, 372 stolen bases, 290 career batting average, just over 2,000 hits, 827 RBIs. This dude was just a hitter. But that's not even the best part about him. He was, first of all, he was nicknamed Pebbly Jack as well. So his name was Jack Glasscock, nicknamed Pebbly Jack, and I'll get into why a little bit later. But he was a top player at his position in the 1880s, and his position was shortstop. He played a little second base too, but predominantly he was a shortstop. And the teams he played for, and I'm just going to list them off here, he played for the Cleveland Blues, the Cincinnati Outlaw Reds, the St. Louis Maroons, the Indianapolis Hoosiers, the New York Giants, the St. Louis Browns, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Louisville Colonels, and rounding out his career with the Washington Senators. But Jack Glasscock, he's considered to be one of the best shortstops of the 19th century, earning him the accolade, the king of shortstops, which is quite an accolade and this was during the 1880s barehanded era uh guys you'd wear a glove or just go barehanded feeling the ball gloves were so different back then but he led the national league shortstops and fielding presented six times and was described by al spink as quote one of the greatest players from a fielding standpoint the game has ever known end quote glasscock absolute Hoover vacuum over there at shortstop. And how did he earn his nickname, Pebbly Jack? Well, he had a habit of scrutinizing the infield for small stones, typically just putting them in his pocket. And the practice helped him avoid the bad hop ground balls, which more regularly afflicted other infielders, apparently. Uh, he Fielding averages of the era rarely exceeded like 900 among shortstops obviously due in part you weren't using a glove but also like clearly the fields weren't the best there were rocks all over the place and the fact that he was such a good fielder probably talent and the fact that he meticulously pebbly jack would pick up the rocks in front of him so it wouldn't have a bad hop i mean he's just smart he's he's using his dome I almost just said he's using his glass cock. Oh, God. Um, he was a good hitter in his career, known as known as a fielder. He was the first player ever to appear in over 600 games as a shortstop. He ended his career with major league records for games played, putouts, assists, total chances, double plays, and fielding percentage at the shortstop position. And when he retired, he ranked fifth in the major league history at that time in games played and at bats and seventh in total bases and eighth in doubles. So this guy was, was really one of the greatest players of the pre-modern era of baseball, which is, I think is pretty cool. He also had a great mustache, like every 19th century baseball player. And he lived really long, surprisingly too. He died at the age of 89 in 1947, which is crazy, uh, living to 89 back then, I feel like is quite impressive. Uh, but more quick little fun facts about Pebbly Jack. I really enjoyed reading about his his career. There's not a whole lot with his personal life as much as others, but uh, he did drop out of school in the fourth grade to per- pursue his father's trade of carpentry. A classic, classic thing to do back then, especially for a baseball player from West Virginia. Um, it was Virginia then, though. It was not 
yet West Virginia. And it's funny, on his Wikipedia, it says he was born July 22nd, 1857, in Wheeling, Virginia, United States. And then he died February 24th, 1947, Wheeling, West Virginia, United States. So he lived long enough to see his birthplace go from Virginia to the western part of Virginia. Crazy. Crazy. Uh, but that, that's about it for his personal life. There's, I looked up some more stuff. There's not much. He was going to pursue carpentry. He definitely did some carpentry, but then uh, played professional baseball. And then after his retirement, he uh, returned to carpentry. And I think he just did that until he died at 89 in Wheeling, the place he grew up. So very cool. He has a really cool cigarette card, uh, baseball card back then. Uh, I really like the old, um, the pre-modern era, or even just, I guess, like pre-1950 base, like cigarette baseball cards. Very cool. Um, but that is Jack Glasscock, one of the better names I've had for this segment, for sure. Um, but we all can learn a bit of, bit of shortstop from Jack Glasscock. Always check the infield in front of you. And if there's any pebbles, put them in your pocket, like Pebbly Jack would have done. But that is the baseball reference player of the week. Glad to have that back. Glad to glad to talk about a guy with the last name of Glasscock. I just can't. I can't. I gotta keep saying it. It's just an amazing name. But as we wind down on this episode, want to hit real quick. Marco Gonzalez out for the year. Unfortunately, he's getting forearm surgery to address an ongoing nerve issue. That really sucks. Um, he was pitching well and obviously had that that injury that um the little tendon thing that uh had Robbie Ray get surgery as well ending his year I don't know if it's the same surgery I don't I haven't confirmed that but either way it's it's ending uh Marco obviously this was a long decision to make he's been out for a little while um seems like an ongoing nerves thing he was talking about it today before the game, so he did a lot of research about it. Uh, should make a full recovery. Just sucks to not see him pitch again this year. I really like Marco Gonzalez, not just because he's a, he's a zag, uh, but he was pitching well, and I he gets so much hate from the fan base, and I talked about that at the start of the year. Uh, but really uh, a good, a solid pitcher in MLB. And I'm not going to talk about it yet, but thinking about the rotation going into next season, I this offseason is going to be wacky. Uh, thinking about all the arms they're going to have available to them next season, especially when they sign Shohei Otani. You know, that's just another arm to add into this dynamo of a rotation. But we got that news of Marco today. That sucks. Uh, but now, everyone's favorite part of the show, the Fangraphs Playoff Odds. The Mariners' playoff odds right now, what do they sit at? They are at 29 point. Nope, that's not right. They are at 34.9% to make the playoffs. The Los Angeles, that's a lie, Angels of Anaheim, 1.6% chance to make the playoffs. They, boy, boy, did, man, the Angels fans have it rough. Uh, but that... Those are good playoff odds. I mean, it's one of those things. It's not. I mean, it's playoff odds. They constantly update every day. Um, it's it's hilarious to look at the AL Central's playoff odds. You have the Twins at ninety point seven percent chance to win the division and make the playoffs, and then the Guardians at eight point four for both of those things. The Tigers 
holding on to a 0.9% chance to win the division, and then it's just zeros across the board for the rest. It, what a sad division. Uh, the Rays still... Oh, nope, I'm wrong. The Astros officially have the highest win World Series percentage odds in the American League with 11.5. That is sinister. God, the freaking Astros. The Rays are at right behind them at 9.7, and then the Braves are sitting pretty at 25.9% chance to win the World Series. Actually, uh, crazy shit. And then you look at the NL Central, there's more spread out percentages here for sure than the AL Central, but still somewhat of a sad scene. Uh, I think the race is a lot more exciting than the AL Central, though, and the teams are more exciting in general. Speaking of the AL Central... As we close out the episode, the Mariners' schedule going into the week. I talked about a long road trip. A long road trip it is indeed. They had two days off last week with the Padres coming to town. They just played the Orioles three times at home, and now they go to Kansas City for a four-game set versus the Royals. And then after that, on Friday, they start a three-game set against the Houston Astros in Houston. Massive series. They... Took a series victory in a four-game series in Houston earlier this year, which they hadn't done in a decade. It felt like probably I think it, I think it was more like um, more like six six years they hadn't won a series in Houston. Uh, but this is a pretty pivotal one, given that um, they are quite close behind the Houston Astros right now. They are they're four games behind the Astros. That is not what they're chasing. Obviously, they're chasing the wild card at the moment. But if the Astros go on a slide, they've just made up a lot of ground. They're one and a half back of the of the Jays now for a wild card spot. Imagine they sweep the Astros. No, I'm not even going to talk about it. I'm not even going to talk about sweeping the Astros. Um, but Royals for four games, Astros for three, and then they go to Chicago versus the White Sox in the south side for three games. And then they have a rest day. And then they get the Royals at home. But that is what I'll talk about on next week's episode. This four-game series versus the Royals is... I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to dub it as a trap series. It's an absolute trap series. I think most people like looking today at Shintaro Fujinami's ERA and saying, wow, we should hit this guy, is very misleading. Uh, the Royals have been playing a lot better ball recently. They, for a long while there, couldn't really get over the hump of being the second, maybe the worst team with the A's. It was quite embarrassing for them because the Royals are trying to be good. And for a long time there, they were no better than the A's. And now they're at least, what, four and a half, five games better than the A's. Uh, But they're four and six in their last ten. I mean, they rattled off like a seven-game win streak. Uh, a couple like going into last week, which was cool, uh, but they've they've been playing better baseball recently. They just took some L's to the Red Sox and the Phillies, but prior to that, they beat they swept the Twins, they swept the Mets. Um, so it's not a completely terrible team, but it's I think it's a particularly bad matchup for the Royals. The thing they have going for them really is their young offense. Uh, and that hasn't been amazing, but that's like the thing that could spark victories for them. And I think the Mariners pitching staff should shut them down pretty handedly. Uh, it'll be up to the bats to 
tee off against a pretty weak pitching staff versus the Royals. Um, so they have four games set versus the Royals and the Astros, and that is the week. And that is this pod. Thanks for listening, everyone. Greatly appreciate it. I'll say it again. You know, rate and review if you want. If you want to rate and review, do it. Do it. You have to do it legally. Do it if you want. Uh, it makes me feel good inside if you do drop a rating. But if you're listening this far, I don't care if you review. This, this, you know, this listening this far into the podcast makes me more happy than a review ever could. But, of course, have a good rest of your week. And always, always, always go Felix Hernandez and go Mariners. <laughs>